Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. We have the great privilege this morning of having Ryan Curry and his wife Emily and their kids with us, and Ryan's going to preach. So, Ryan, you come on up, brother. Um, we got to know we got to know the Currys when we were at Rockdale Community Church. They have family there, and so we've not we haven't spent a bunch of time together, but we've gotten to know the Currys for a number of years. RCC is our sending church, and so uh, we're thankful to have you, brother. Yeah, and thank so you. you can I know you're probably going to give us a little update on what's going on, but. Um, just to let you know, we've been supporting Ryan and Emily. What are your kids' names? So we have Mercy and Hosanna here, and then we have two boys in the middle who are at RCC with, okay. with grandparents. With grandparents. Okay, yeah. good. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Ryan's going to give us an update. They have been in Liberia through Training Leaders International. Is that right? Right. Okay, so teaching pastors. Right. And before that, you, they were in Mongolia. You were right. in Mongolia before COVID, right? Uh, yeah, so from 2015 to 2020, okay. basically. All right. Yeah. And I thought about the difference in the weather. So Mongolia, yeah. what was the coldest that ever got in Mongolia? Um, so negative 70 with the wind chill, um, <laughs> negative 40 without the wind chill. Negative 40, negative yeah. And then in Liberia, what is it? Um, it's, it's like 90 degrees year-round, basically, but 100% humidity. So oh we, we overcompensated. Yeah. And, uh, so average out, it was really comfortable. Yeah, that's it was right. 60 that's right. degrees, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you, brother, yeah, well, thank and we're you. very thankful for you. And I can tell you this, they've gone, gone through some difficult times just in God's providence, And uh, but I'm always impressed and thankful just the joy that Ryan and Emily have and their faithfulness. It's just an encouragement and a challenge to me, so we're very, very thankful. Let well, me pray you for, for you, okay? okay? Father, we love you. We just thank you for Ryan and Emily and their kids. Thank you for just in your goodness allowing them to be here this morning, and I pray just for your blessings on Ryan, today, uh, thank you, as I said, Lord, just for the encouragement and the challenge that they are, because they are to me personally, just because of their joy and their trust in you. It's just really great just to watch somebody who's going through difficult times just trust in you. They really, suffering allows us to, to have a platform to show how great and faithful you are, and, and they have uh, used that in a huge way. So, Jesus, you're awesome. You can see that in the Curry's lives, that, that they just believe, truly believe that you are glorious and awesome, and you're worth it. So we praise you for that, and I do pray for your blessings on our brother today as, as he brings us your word. So we love you. Um, we praise you, Lord. Thank you again for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. It, it is a joy, as always, to be with you. Um, a month ago... My family did not know that we would be in America. So as uh, Pastor Jeff has said, it's been a, a time of transition for us, and it's been a difficult time. Um, and so for those of you who didn't know, like, like we said, we were serving in Liberia, training pastors and leaders. Last time I was here, I was able to give uh, an excited and happy update about the work that God is doing in Liberia, and God is still at work in Liberia. And we're praying that our labors were not in vain. We're trusting that, that we watered and God is the one who will give the growth. Um, so we had to be removed from Liberia because the partner school that we were working with, the president, um, was not submitting to the governing board with accountability and transparency in how he was handling the school's finances. So after months of approaching him on this issue and trying to get him to work on this, um, it, it eventually led to a financial crisis at the school that was quite intense for us and our family. And so Training Leaders International ended up asking us to go ahead and leave Liberia and come home and um, look for a new assignment. Uh, Training Leaders International is still trying to work with the school to get it to a place of integrity, a place where they're truly above reproach. And uh, you can be praying for that. We, you can be praying for repentance where it's necessary and also be praying for those Liberians who have been growing in their understanding of the gospel. 
their understanding of of what it looks like to have a word-based, a Bible-based ministry. And so please be praying for those Liberians that we deeply love. And it was um, a very difficult assignment, but we were very sad to leave because of our great love uh, for the Liberians. And so please be praying for them and for us as we um, consider what's next for our family as well. So what that means for us is we're in the process of thinking about what is next. What's next for our family? And we still have ambition to go overseas and to work with with pastors in training them about how to have a Bible-based and gospel-based ministry. And so that's still our ambition. And so please pray for us. We have no idea where in the world God will take us next. Our goal is to be um, back overseas, Lord willing, by the fall, and we'll see if God opens that door and makes that a possibility. And I'll be updating the elders and the deacons more later this month on the details of our transition and uh, what Training Leaders International might have for us next. But this morning I want to look at the theological foundations of a missionary travel itinerary. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, reflects on his missionary movement. He thinks about his specific movement from Troas to Macedonia, and then he steps back and says what he thinks about the theological foundations of his missionary travel itinerary. So this one instance of Paul going from Troas to Macedonia gives us a broader perspective on how Paul thinks of his missionary journeys. So let's look at that chapter together. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened to me for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So the main point of Paul's message in this section is that wherever Paul went in his missionary journeys, he was both a living sacrifice and was led by Jesus Christ, the conquering king. That's Paul's main point. he, He gives these two metaphors. One, he says, I am a living sacrifice. I am a fragrant offering to God. And secondly, he says, I am captured. I am captured by Jesus, my conquering king. And that drives him wherever he goes. So for the roadmap for this sermon, first we're going to look at the bigger context, the biblical context of Jesus as the conquering king. And then we're going to see how Paul puts his missionary journeys in light of that context of Jesus as the conquering king. And then we're going to consider some implications for our lives together. So first, the big picture context of Jesus Christ, our conquering king. So Romans, in Romans, Paul says in in chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that statement, that statement of Jesus is Lord is a powerful proclamation of the kingship of Jesus Christ. It proclaims that Jesus is the king of all kings, 
the president of all president, the ruler of all rulers. He is glorious and he is majestic in his kingship. He was the promised Messiah and he is the king of the world. So we can say about Jesus what Exodus 15.3 says about God. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So we've all seen, most of us have probably seen some sort of movie that has a battle scene. And, and as we watch the movie, it's a little bit different if we were actually there. But when we watch this movie, we can see the carnage. We can feel the excitement as the intensity builds and there's this battle going on. So you've seen those kind of movies. But the Bible tells us that the Bible tells us it's not an exaggeration to say that our lives as Christians are played out on a battlefield. It's not simply a metaphor. There are many metaphors that teach us things in scriptures, like the metaphor of a race. We want to run the race. We want to finish the race. We want to finish the course that God has laid out for us. That's a metaphor. It's a helpful metaphor. But what the Bible tells us is this battlefield imagery is more than just a metaphor. It's a reality. The Bible talks about this often, and one example is Revelation 12, 7. Now a war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Or, as Paul puts in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, there are some that overemphasize this and abuse this, but the right response to an overemphasis and abuse of spiritual warfare is not not talking about it, right? The right response is to teach about it truly, to teach what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. The drama of scripture tells us the story of God, the conquering king, who through Jesus, through Jesus' incarnation, death, and resurrection, God conquered all his enemies and put them under his feet. And he reigns and rules in all eternity. So this drama of scripture tells the story of God, the king of the triune God, the king, who has vanquished his enemies in Jesus Christ. This king is worthy of all of our praises. He is holy, holy, holy. All the the angels of heaven adore him and worship him as the marvelous king of the universe so that we can join in that worship and say with the psalmist, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So scripture holds out God as king, God as Lord, and and invites us to worship him, to bow our knee before him. But scripture also tells us the story of two rebellions. The first rebellion was Satan rebelling and and the demons rebelling against God. Satan and the demons were originally created good. They were originally created holy and righteous, and yet they rebelled against God. They rebelled against his kingship, rebelled against his lordship, and turned against him. The second rebellion was humanity. Humanity rebelled against God. They followed Satan and his demons into disobedience, into rebellion against God, and now they were captured by Satan and the devil. and the demons. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about humanity trapped in sin. It looks at unbelievers and says, Paul looks at unbelievers and says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath 
like the rest of mankind. So Paul tells us that this rebellious humanity is dead in their sins. So in one sense, in one sense, this rebellious humanity is captured by Satan. But in another sense, this rebellious humanity is running after their sin, loving their sin, and following the course of this world as it's their own desire. So it's not that Satan is simply working in them to, to love something that they hate. No, they love their sin. They love their rebellion against the king. And so God has to capture captivity. We were captive in our sins. And so God has to do a rescue mission and capture us and bring us out of captivity. So according to the Bible, you are in one of those two groups. You are either captured by Satan, sin and death, loving your sin, going after your sin, and its end is death. So you're either captured by sin and death or you are captured by God, the king. There are only two humanities, two groups of humanity. So which one are you? Who are you captured by? Who are you captured by? Do you feel the chains of sin this morning? Do you feel, and at one level, do you love your sin and go after it, but it's it's holding you in bondage? Are you loving your sin? Are you following the course of this world? The world offers us all these things. Are you running after all those things that the world has to offer? Are you captured by Jesus Christ? Are you captured by the present darkness or are you, have you been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of of marvelous light. There's only two groups within humanity. Which one are you? If you're unsure of the answer to that question, I've got good news to, for you. Jesus is a conquering king. And Jesus can conquer those who enslave you to sin and enslave you to death. And Jesus can even conquer you. You are the one that needs conquered. You need to surrender to the Lord of glory. And Jesus is a king and Jesus is a warrior who will defeat your enemies so that you have no reason to fear those things that are frightening those realities that are at war with our soul in America, those realities that are at war with our soul in the world, Jesus can free you from the prince of the power of the air who's at work in the sons of disobedience. Jesus can free you from that sin that you love so much. Hebrews chapter two talks about Jesus's conquering victory over Satan, sin, and death. In verse 14, it says, since therefore the children, he's talking about humanity here, share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of these same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus is the conquering king. Jesus frees us from the grip that Satan has on us. Jesus frees us from the grip that death has on us by becoming sin for us, for dying a gruesome death on the cross for us, for becoming curse for us, and then rising again and offering us that resurrection life and the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus used this analogy in the Gospels, how Satan is a strong man who is guarding his house. Satan has treasures of people in his house, and Jesus comes in, binds the strong man, and plunders Satan's house. That's what Jesus does. As R.C. Sproul once put it, Satan's kingdom crumbles under the attack of Christ at its very foundations. 
Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, talks about how Jesus is the conquering king and how he forgives our sins and then puts to shame all our enemies in the heavenly places. Colossians 2.13 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive, you alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of its debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in verse 15 in Colossians 2, when it says God put them to open shame by triumphing over them, the the image there is this parade where Satan and the demons are paraded as as conquered enemies of Christ. They're held out to the universe as conquered on the basis of the cross. So whenever we talk about a home run, our mind immediately goes to baseball. Or whenever we say touchdown, our mind immediately goes to football. But here in Colossians 2.15 and in our text in 2 Corinthians 2, when Paul says he puts them to shame by triumphing over them, the Roman citizens would have immediately thought of a victorious general marching his enemies in public display of his conquest. They would have immediately thought of that. How Jesus is like one of those Roman generals who is marching along and the enemies of this general who've been conquered are following along in chains and in shame and open poverty Because they've been vanquished. They've been conquered. One scholar said the triumphal procession that that Paul references here was a lavish parade conducted in Rome to celebrate these great victories and significant military campaigns. Everyone in the Roman Empire knew about these parades. They were ostentatious ostentatious celebrations filled with valiant soldiers, spoils of war, the most theatrical pomp and circumstances that Rome could muster. Moreover, the triumphal procession demonstrated Rome's prowess as the victor, not only by parading the spoils of of war, but also by leading in triumph the most important leaders and imitating warriors of the enemy, now presented as conquered slaves. The highest honor in any Roman Caesar or general could receive would be to lead one of those parades. So that's the imagery that Paul has in mind in Colossians 2 when he says that the enemies of Christ are put to open shame. It's this parade, this victory parade where the enemies are paraded through the streets. It's also what we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul now shifts, and in Colossians, note, who was the enemy? It was Satan and the demons who are put to open shame. But in here, in Colossians, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the enemy is Paul himself, who's been conquered by Jesus, and is now is following Jesus, the conquering king, as a prisoner of war. So in this passage, Paul is reflecting on his constant transition, constant movement as a missionary, and he looks at this specific instance in Troas. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. This is before that passage that I just read. Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. 
My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So second, we're going to look now at how Paul's missionary journeys are under this theme of Jesus as the conquering king. So Paul's missionary journeys are under this theme of Jesus as the conquering king. So this movement from Troas to Macedonia, Paul is, is going from Troas to Macedonia, it's surprising. Because whenever you're a missionary, what you always pray for is an open door for gospel ministry. You're always asking God, open the door for gospel ministry here. And what does Paul find in Troas? He finds an open door for gospel ministry. And it's so surprising that the thing that you read next is that Paul does not, what you expect to see is Paul stayed in Troas, planted a church there, the Lord added to its number daily. That's what you'd expect to read. But what does it say? What does it say? 13, my spirit was not at rest because I could not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them. I left Troas and went on to Macedonia. So Paul says he left this open door in Troas and went on to Macedonia. So what, what's going on here in the background is Paul has, has sent Titus with a severe letter to the Corinthian church and he is waiting for Titus to give a report about how the Corinthians have received his letter. And so while Paul is waiting for Titus in Troas, an open door is there for him for gospel ministry. But Paul, wanting to hear how the Corinthian church was doing, couldn't find any rest in his soul. So for internal reasons, he moved up to Macedonia to try to find Titus and get this report about the Corinthian church. So that's the, the historical background. But this gives us an insight into how Paul thought of his missionary journeys. Whenever you read the book of Acts, it's one of the most powerful travel narratives ever written. Some of you for, for high school maybe read um, The Odyssey, where Odysseus went and is, is trying to find, go back to his wife and his son, and he travels through and has all these adventures, it pales in comparison to the book of Acts. It pales. Read Acts again and let your, let your imagination loose. Let your imagination loose as you read of Paul's missionary journeys. If you let your imagination loose, you can, you can see God strike people blind through Paul's ministry. You can see people healed through Paul's ministry. You can see Paul stoned, his body crumpled, laying dead, it appears, in Lystra, and his body being dragged out of the city. You can see him being worshipped, Paul and Silas being worshipped as gods and tearing their clothes. You can see Paul being shipwrecked and thrown out into the open sea, cast away onto the island of Malta. You can see Paul joking with Festus, him in chains being led to Rome. The travel narrative of Acts are exciting. Read them. Read them. But what we have in Acts is the historical narrative of those missionary journeys, of how Paul goes around the, the Mediterranean and goes and makes this three circuits, his three missionary journeys, and travels to all these places with his ambition to preach the name of Christ to the nations. That's what we see in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts gives us all these reasons for Paul's constant movement. But what we have in 2 Corinthians 2 is his reflection on what those movements mean theologically. And he gives these two metaphors of a living sacrifice and being conquered by Jesus Christ. So in Acts, I have these, these bullet points for the slides in Acts, it tells us that Paul had many reasons for all the times that he went to different places. 
Paul was set apart by the Holy Spirit and sent out by a local church. He was driven out of one city and onto the next countless times. He returned and reported to his sending church. He visited existing churches to encourage, disciple, and teach them. He was prevented from entering some areas and directed to enter others by God. He happened to be in some areas while waiting to meet up with his co-workers. He resolved in his spirit to go some places. He was bound in chains by Rome and brought as a prisoner to different locations, and he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So Acts tells us all these reasons, all these reasons that Paul traveled from different locations, and there was reason after reason for all this travel. But Paul now steps back and says, okay, what's going on theologically? What's going on in this battleground that I'm facing? So Paul actually breaks the narrative in 2 in 2 Corinthians 2, and he doesn't come back to the narrative of, of looking for Titus and finding Titus and, and the, how the Corinthian church received this letter until 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So he breaks this narrative and gives us an insight into how he thought about, about his travels. So in verse 14 again, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Thanks be to God. I've moved from Troas to Macedonia, surprisingly, even though I had this, this open door for gospel ministry. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession. So again, unlike Colossians 2.15, it's not... Satan or the demons who are led by Christ in the triumphal procession, it is Paul himself. Paul recognized that that moment when he was persecuting the church, when he was going toward Damascus to persecute the church of God, when Jesus, the King Jesus, met Paul and knocked him off his horse, in that moment, Jesus Christ had conquered Paul. In that moment, Paul was a conquered prisoner of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, now, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And notice that he says a little bit later, he emphasizes that he is paraded everywhere. And in that parading everywhere, Jesus parading him everywhere as his captive, he is a fragrance for Christ to God. He is a living sacrifice. So Jesus is the glorious general, the glorious king who's vanquished him, and now Paul is captured by Jesus and following in his train. So let's Look now, let's turn now and see how this applies to our life. So Paul's missionary journeys, he saw them as following Jesus, following that conquering king, being paraded in front of the nations, revealing the glory and splendor of the conquering king. So you can see how these things help me and help Emily as, as we consider, okay, first Mongolia, and now Liberia. What's next? This, this wasn't expected. This wasn't part of our plan. But everywhere we go, we are following Jesus Christ, our conquering king. He's sovereign. I wouldn't have wrote my story this way. But he is sovereign, and we will follow him. So the first implication for our lives is that the Christian follows Christ wherever he leads. The Christian is joyfully captured by Jesus Christ. So we are, we are joyfully captured by Jesus. In the midst of an abrupt transition, we are joyfully captured by Jesus in following him. So whether we are in Mongolia or Liberia, 
wherever we go in the future, whether while we're here in the States, if we're in Georgia where Emily grew up, or New Mexico where I grew up, wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves, we are captured by the Lord Jesus Christ and designed to reveal his splendor and his majesty and his glory. And there's a freedom. There's a freedom in being captured by Jesus Christ. There's a stability in being captured by Jesus Christ. You can imagine Paul in all those missionary journeys, the lack of stability he had. But Paul says, no, my stability is found and I am following him. I am going after him. So there's a joyful freedom in being captured by Jesus Christ. There's a joyful stability in being captured by Jesus Christ so that we can say from our hearts, he is our peace, he is our joy, he is our victor. We can be sure of one thing. No matter what life circumstances throw at you, we can be sure of one thing, that we are following our conquering king. And the good news is that king that we are following is the most powerful king in all the universe. We don't have to doubt anything. We don't have to be afraid because we are following Jesus Christ, the one who conquered Satan, sin, and death. So do you know the joy of being captured by Jesus? Do you know that joy, that peace, that stability of being captured by Jesus? No matter what is happening in your life, no matter what circumstances you're walking through, you are captured by Jesus Christ. Do you know that joy? Do you know that freedom? Do you know that stability? Do people in Walton County or wherever you live do people see you and say, that person is captured by Jesus? That person is following his king. That person's allegiance belongs to Jesus. Other people are following the course of this world. Other people have the prince of the power of the air working inside of them. Other people are running after their sin. But us, we are running after Jesus. Do people see that in you? Do people see that Jesus Christ is glorious because of how focused you are on him? Paul is, is writing here in 2 Corinthians and he talks, about, he talks about keeping your eyes on Jesus. He's talking about especially his apostolic ministry, but the same is true for all Christians. Paul says later in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that we are being transformed by beholding the face of Jesus Christ. And, and this is, the, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, this is the context of what Paul has been talking about. Being led by Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, as we are being led by Jesus, we are being transformed and those around us can see that reflection of who Jesus is? Can those around you see a reflection of Jesus in your life? Can they see that Jesus is the king and he is worth everything? Second, a second implication is following Jesus as our conquering king means displaying him through suffering for his sake. So this language that Paul is, is using in 2 Corinthians 14 or 2, 14 and 15, when he talks about the living sacrifice, when he says he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, in verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, and to, to the other a fragrance from life to life. So when he talks about this, he's talking about our lives and his life as a living sacrifice. And in 2 Corinthians, especially, what Paul is talking about is suffering and weakness that comes along with new covenant ministry. 
It also, he's also talking about the suffering and affliction that comes along just as being a part of the new covenant, as part of following Christ. Suffering and affliction are expected in this life. So Paul says, in that suffering, in that weakness, we are a fragrant aroma in Christ to God. So in your suffering, whatever suffering you're experiencing, you are a fragrant aroma. You are to to live your life as a living sacrifice before God. People in Corinth were pointing at Paul and saying, he suffers too much to be an apostle. He couldn't be an apostle. He's, he's suffering too much, physically suffering too much, being persecuted too much. He's not le- living the victorious Christian life. But Paul says, no, in my suffering, I am victorious because God is is parading me around the nations in my suffering. And in my suffering, I am sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ so that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ may be revealed in me. That's what happens when you suffer. You are sharing in the death of Christ. And Jesus' resurrection power holds you and carries you until the day you see his face. And Paul says that that suffering that you're going through is a fragrant aroma in Christ to God. He emphasizes that it's in Christ because Jesus Christ in his sacrifice is the atoning sacrifice. Our suffering doesn't atone for our sins. Only Jesus can atone for our sins. But we ourselves are living sacrifices in Christ to God. So how you handle your suffering matters. How you handle your suffering, how you live through your suffering, how you keep going, it matters. And oftentimes, we we try to compartmentalize suffering, suffering, and generic suffering. But the reality is, no matter what suffering you face, whether it's due to ministry or due to life, how you handle that suffering is part of your living sacrifice to God. So face your suffering this week and hold it up to God. Say, God, make me a living sacrifice. Make me a fragrant offering to you. May may I be a pleasing offering to you on the basis of Jesus Christ. This language is a little bit different for us because we're not used to offerings or sacrifices. But what it means is your suffering can, can show Jesus Christ. Your suffering can show Jesus Christ and it's pleasing to God based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. So your life is a traveling, living sacrifice to God. So the sacrifice is to God, but others are looking in on how you handle your suffering. Your coworkers are seeing how you handle your suffering. Do you handle your suffering like every other person on this earth or do you handle your suffering in a specific way that magnifies Jesus Christ our living king Paul says that he was the aroma of life to life and death to death people should be able to look at you and see that you are different because of who you are in Christ and that will be repulsive to some people and others will look more and And maybe they too will come to be conquered by Jesus Christ, the living King, because of your witness to them. You're proclaiming the gospel to them. Paul says, a little bit later on in the context, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not given to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. 
So if you're afflicted this week, remember that you are, you are manifesting the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at each, of, each one of us and says, take up your cross and follow me. And his resurrection life gives us the strength to face any suffering that we go through. This was true in Paul's life and in Paul's missionary journeys. You can see him again and again in all his suffering. And Emily and I can say that over the last month, we've had many times when we were perplexed but not dismayed. Jesus has walked with us through the loss of a ministry. And we've been perplexed, we've been questioning, we've been confused, but we're not dismayed. And the reason we're not dismayed is because we're following Jesus. Our lives are his. He's our sovereign conquering king. Sometimes in life we try to get ahead of our conquering king and try to lead him where we want him to take us. But Jesus is the conquering king. Jesus is the one who's sovereign, so we follow him wherever that leads. So in weakness and in suffering, we trust and believe in Jesus. So thirdly, a third implication is being joyfully captured by Jesus means loving him and admiring him. So being joyfully captured by Jesus means loving him and admiring him. So that's what I want to leave you with this morning is the question, do you love Jesus? Do you admire the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you blown away at the amount of mercy and grace that Jesus Christ, our captain, has given us? That you were enslaved to your own sin. That you, were, you had Satan working inside of you. That you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ, the conquering king, entered into, your, in, into our existence, into humanity, took on flesh and blood in order that he might bleed and die for us. Are you blown away at this Jesus? Do you love this Jesus? Paul was joyfully captured by Jesus. And you can see that when Paul says, thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Thanks be to God. Satan and the demons who have been captured by Jesus, conquered by Jesus, aren't thanking God for their, for their defeat. But we as believers are thanking God for his rescue. So we say thanks be to God and we love Jesus Christ. So just like that Roman general was showing off all, all of his glory, all of his military prowess, all of his power, so also Jesus' glory is paraded through us, the lives of those who are conquered by Jesus. And our response is to turn our eyes and look at him. And love him. That passage that I referenced earlier is 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. It's in the, the context following on, on our text this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is a spirit. So we're beholding the glory of Christ. And, and in um, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So are you captured by the irresistible grace of Jesus Christ? Are you drawn to him? Do you love him? The rest of the world is following after the course of this world, following after sin, but is your heart drawn to Jesus, captivated by Jesus? To close, I want to read a few verses from Psalm 45 that I think really shows how, what a, a captivated heart looks like, what an adoring heart of our Lord Jesus Christ looks like. It, it means 
worshiping him from the heart. So Psalm 45, just a few verses that, that revel in Jesus' greatness, says, My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I will address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And the psalmist is, is praying to Jesus, praising the Lord Jesus. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured out upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird up your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victorious. For the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Lord Jesus, we do worship you. We come with the psalmist and say that you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all our worship, of all our our poetry, of all our songs, of all our hymns. You are worthy of our very lives, Lord Jesus. So we pray, God, that that you would capture our hearts. When it feels like our our lives have been captured by sin or captured by other things, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would that you would capture us again. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you, our glorious King. We pray for forgiveness for when we fall short. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would truly be a living sacrifice, that our lives would be an aroma in you to God, that the world would watch us and those who have life would have have more of life and those who have death, we would be repulsive to them. Lord Jesus, we wanna be marked by your kingship in our lives and so we worship you and bow before you. King Jesus, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.